0: One of the sadnesses, I think, of coronavirus times has been the way that it's changed people's attitudes towards strangers. And the distance, the fear, the the, the jumping back in horror from fellow shoppers when they get too close, or edging away from people as they walk past. This desire to to keep people at a distance. Fellow human beings uh, seen as something to be avoided steered away from, potentially contaminated or dangerous. Well, in our passage this afternoon, we meet someone for whom that was their experience every day of their life. Our first point from these four verses, confess you are not clean, verses one and two. This man Jesus meets, had a skin condition. that was something akin to to what we call leprosy today. And it was no ordinary illness. For, For there was no known cure for it. No way back into health, society, community. Just a lifetime of isolation and rejection. In Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, the law stated... Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. One, and thinker on this passage, suggested a, a parallel possibly with, with AIDS as it was understood back in the early 90s a huge social stigma. Another writer um, describes the condition like this. Uh, the disease, which we today call leprosy, generally begins with a uh, pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original colour. It gets to be thick, glossy and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings. Fingers drop off or absorbed. Toes are similarly affected. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see that the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. And by the touch of the finger, one can also feel it. And one could even smell it. And so it is no small moment when, in verse 1, having just descended from surely the greatest sermon ever told, a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's no small moment because a leper approaching a crowd of healthy people like this was not the done thing. Had he not seen the signs saying to keep two metres apart? It's no small moment because this is the very first thing that Jesus is called upon to do. After teaching that had left the crowd reeling, just a few verses earlier in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, Matthew writes that they had been amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And it's no small moment because of what this man asked Jesus to do. Because the New Testament often speaks of leprosy as actually being in its own category, it's slightly separate from other sicknesses. Um, leprosy is always talked of as being cleansed rather than cured, as we see in these verses. Um, and if you look a bit further on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 10, verse 8, or chapter 11, verse 5, you'll see lists where. Illnesses is one category and leprosy is another. And you might be familiar with uh, the account of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. Curing leprosy uh, was no small feat. So this man approaching Jesus with this request, mainly take a couple of verses in our Bibles, but it was no small moment. And look how He comes with boldness, with respect, with utter dependence upon Jesus, knowing he has nothing to bring to the table, nothing to offer Jesus, but his request and his faith. A man who knows he is not clean, and he presents himself as he is at Jesus' feet. And so often in the Bible, I think, This idea of leprosy, of physical uncleanness is meant to be a picture, a metaphor for our spiritual condition, the state of our sinful hearts before God. But so often we don't see it. We look in the mirror and we see our outward appearance. uh, we, We look at our CVs our experience, our photo albums, our online profiles, our message histories, and and it looks pretty good. We think we're pretty good. We're not that bad, really. Or we spend our time looking around at other people. Well, Well, I might struggle with this, but I mean, they really struggle with that. And we fail to look up at God and to check ourselves against him as if he's looking for people who are just a little bit better than the next Christian in the line, rather than people who are as good, perfect and holy as he is. As if we get to decide what God's standard is and should be. Now, of course, for most, if not all of us in this room, We have, in a very real sense, already been through what this leprous man goes through here. We've come to Jesus, we've confessed, we've been made clean. But I think we still need to make sure that we remember what we were and what we would be without Christ. Because if we don't know that, if we don't remember what we've been saved from, our natural state of dirt, of sin, of uncleanness before God. How can we know and appreciate what God has done for us? Why are we so quick to forget that? Why do we so often make so little of our sin? That sounds simple, but for me at least, I think we sort of forget that, that leprosy, that physical uncleanness is a metaphor uh, I think a bit like Samuel casting his eye over Jesse's sons, like, like the Pharisees washing out their bowls. We slip into thinking that sin can always be seen. We think that what's apparent on the outside is, if not a carbon copy, at least a very, very good indicator of what's on the inside. And of course, the New Testament does tell us to look for fruit in those who claim to follow Jesus. But it also tells us, Jesus himself tells us, that it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Um, In uh, How People Change, Paul Tripp um, writes, that it's not our circumstances that make us sin. They may influence our responses, terribly so. We may suffer under great hardship, injustice, evil, abuse as a result of the sin of others. But even then, it is still the sinful desires of our hearts that make us sin. And so physical uncleanness, while it's only a metaphor, our real problem is the uncleanness on the inside. And I think as well, we make this mistake because we so readily compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to God. If I'm better than them, and I certainly am, then I must be okay. How might uh, living with a better understanding of our sinfulness, our uncleanness before God look? Well, (laughs) there'll be as many applications as there are people in the room and countless more, but just a couple. I think of the brother who realises how critical his spirit is. He realises how quick he is to spot other people's sins, mistakes and weaknesses, and how rarely he thinks of his own sinfulness. And so he resolves to confess sin every day, to pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or perhaps the sister who's been badly hurt in the past. Maybe the circumstances life has thrown at her, maybe awful, cruel treatment by other people. And she begins to realise that she she never actually owns her own sin. It's, It's always someone else's fault. And so, knowing she has much still to work through in her past, she begins to realise that she needs to take responsibility, not for the way she's been sinned against, of course, but for the sin too that lies in her own heart. And she starts to learn to say sorry to God. We must confess that we are not clean. But we see also in this encounter that we are to come to Jesus, who can, who has, who wants to make us completely clean. Let's come back to where we are in the story. The man comes to Jesus, kneels before him and says in verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' response, beautifully straightforward. Not a moment's delay, verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. If a leper approaching a clean person was out of order, a clean person touching a leper, that was a recipe for disaster, a surefire way to make yourself unclean. But not a moment's delay, Jesus reaches out, touches this man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And it's as simple as that. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Who knows how many months, how many years, how many decades, this man had lived on the outside of society, the outside of God's people. And in a moment, it's all gone. He's clean. Having spent three chapters speaking with authority in the Sermon on the Mount, we immediately see Jesus acting with authority. The leper comes with every confidence and that confidence is richly rewarded. Two words, the touch of a hand and the work is done. This man's entire life has been transformed The totality of the success is then emphasised in Jesus' instruction to the man to go and show himself to the priest, to fulfil the instructions given in Leviticus 14 as to what you should do if you believe that your skin disease has been removed. So this may be an intimate moment of cleansing between Jesus and this man, but everyone's going to see the repercussions of it as this man unprecedentedly re-enters society, now clean. Although Jesus is conscious too that he doesn't want to become known only as a great miracle worker, that's all, a magician. And so he urges the man also not to talk to anyone of what has happened. I wonder whether we sometimes doubt whether God can actually help us. It seems a bit, a bit too good to be true, the transformation we see in these verses. I mean, obviously, technically, we, we know he can, we, we think he can, we, we believe our Bibles. But in the knots and the pains of our actual daily lives, we, we wonder, we doubt, at least I sometimes do, whether God can actually make a difference. Maybe the conflict we feel will never be able to get out into the open air and resolve. Maybe the difficult relationship that shows no sign of ever improving, or that can't improve because the other person is in the grave. Or the abuse, the pain, the hurt, that we can barely even speak of to our loved ones, let alone seek justice for. Or the sin that we don't let see the light of day, or the quiet struggle we've held to ourselves for so long. And, And we sort of know in our heads that Jesus can deal with these things, that, that he already has dealt with them. Yet day to day we're bowed down and we carry the burden. But Jesus offers to make us clean. A few chapters later he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Jesus can heal our deepest wounds. He has already paid the price. Your relationship with that parent may not have been, may not ever be, what it should be, what it could be. But Jesus knows it is okay. You have a better parent in heaven. You may never be entirely free of that sin, that temptation you've struggled with for so long. But it's okay. Jesus knows. You don't have to hide it from him or work to try to improve and get better. You can trust him. He will change you in part in this life and one day completely. Jesus can he has, he will make us completely clean. And did you notice um, that wonderful little dialogue in verses 2 and 3 about whether Jesus was willing? For, for this, um, this leprous man, he doesn't doubt Jesus' power. He, he knows full well, presumably from miracles have already been seen that Matthew records in uh, Chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, and he knows that Jesus is perfectly able to heal him. What he questions is whether Jesus wants to, whether he is willing. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The answer? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. He could have just said the words be clean and done it. But no, I am willing. I want to do this for you. I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want to make you clean. Jesus wants to show this man his love and compassion. Because you could tell the story without that little detail, couldn't you? Matthew doesn't need to tell us how Jesus felt. He doesn't need to tell us about Jesus' desire to heal this man. It would have got the job done to simply tell us that the man has to be healed, that Jesus touched him, said, be clean, and that he was healed. But I love that in this very short little miracle account, we get that detail that Jesus wanted to heal this man. We have a kind, compassionate, generous, loving saviour in Jesus. One who loves and cares for his people, as a shepherd cares for the tiniest of his lambs. And perhaps we um, sometimes think of God as a bit bit reluctant to help us. I mean, mean, he does, he he, he bears with us, but he'd really really rather not. He's got better things to do. He's like the parent, he he just wishes their child would entertain themselves for, for half an hour longer. He'll do a few miracles along the way if he needs to, to to make sure people keep listening. But he's only really interested in teaching and obedience, not compassion, not love. Or maybe we think we're simply too small to feature in his plan. Why would the God of the universe be concerned? Why would he care about the plight of little you or me? But not only can Jesus make us clean, He wants to. He loved us enough to send his son to die for us. He longs to heal us, bless us, transform us into the likeness of his son, into a people ready to spend all of eternity banqueting in the new creation with their bridegroom. Jesus can completely cleanse us and he wants to completely cleanse us. Let's not believe anything less of him. Let's pause now for a few moments of a quiet